Welcome to the Go Well podcast. This is Kate Mercer and today I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Chow all about pain and opioid misuse and addiction. Dr. Chow is a senior consultant psychiatrist accredited at the Melbourne Clinic in Victoria, Australia, working as part of the addiction unit team and helping patients recover through the 28-day in-hospital rehabilitation program. Dr. Chow is also involved with psychiatric advice and consultation services and provides telephone support to general practitioners in order to enhance their treatment of patients with mental illness. Integral to Dr. Chow's patient-focused care style is the development of strong professional therapeutic relationships with his clients. He sincerely believes in a holistic approach to recovery from addiction, supporting the biopsychosocial model of healthcare. Dr. Chow completed his psychiatry training at the Austin Hospital in Melbourne, which allowed him to acquire experience across various unique settings, including treating members of the Australian Defence Force, patients with a forensic history at the Thomas Embling Hospital, as well as patients with cancer. Welcome to A Go Well, Dr. Stephen Chow. Thanks for having me. Could you please explain for our listeners today exactly what are opioids and opiates? Yeah, so I think it's a great place to start. So opioids is a really general term that refers to any sort of substance, whether naturally occurring or synthetic, that acts on the uh, opioid receptors. So it sounds a bit circular in that sense. Opiates, uh, technically speaking, are only referring to naturally occurring substances that act on the opioid receptors in the body. Um, So naturally occurring uh, opiates are usually found from the opium poppy plant. So they can actually include things like codeine, morphine, heroin. Technically, they're, they're speaking, they're opiates. Um, but these days, in sort of common vernacular, we tend to use opioids and opiates interchangeably. Yes. Thank you very much for uh, explaining that. And can you give some examples of over-the-counter, let's just refer to them as opioids for this interview? Yeah, so yeah, it's easy to refer them as opioids. So but opioids include things like generally painkillers. So things like endone, tramadol, uh, fentanyl, methadone, um, they're all under the opioid sort of family. And it's interesting you mentioned over the counter because a few years ago, there were some changes to the laws. As, you, as people might know now, you can't really get codeine uh, without prescriptions now. Yes, fantastic. And I was actually going to cut straight to that for our next question in terms of regulation in Australia. And also, how how do we differ here in comparison to America where there's a huge opioid epidemic? Yeah, there's definitely an epidemic in uh, the US. I'm obviously not living there. I don't know all the reasons for that. But from my brief, brief reviews, some people who have travelled there would know that there's much more aggressive marketing of medications in the USA. In Australia, we have much tighter laws. For example, some people may have heard on the radio or on TV ads in America that actually promote medications on there. You don't really, you can't really do that here in Australia. So I think that's a big difference. Of course, there may be cultural influences and health systems and regulation issues. Um, But generally speaking, in Australia, we're pretty tightly regulated in terms of medications. Uh, The the tricky thing is though with any medication is that they're generally state regulated. So for example, being in Victoria, I know the Victorian rules, but I wouldn't actually know how, Mm. you know, prescribing of opioids works in New South Wales. And sometimes Mm. that can lead to people who may be traveling interstate, getting um, access to medications that aren't really uh, well regulated. Um, In Victoria though, because we do recognize that opioids can have risks, and it's important for the listeners to remember that any medication always has more than one action. So on the Mm. one hand, a lot of people take opioids to help with pain, 
but opioids can cause constipation, can cause people getting high, can reduce the breathing rate. So there's a lot of risks involved with these medications. So in Victoria, any um, doctor who's prescribing an opioid for a patient for more than eight weeks needs to apply for a permit. Um, if that person actually has an addiction issue though, you actually can't prescribe any opioids without a permit in the first place. So that's, that's one of those sort of safeguards. And in recent years, uh, there's a new system called SafeScript, which is an online system that is now mandatory for every doctor in Victoria. If you're prescribing a controlled substance such as opioids, you must log into the system to check the, uh, the patient's prescribing history. Because uh, unfortunately, prior to that, it was quite easy to go to different doctors and get prescriptions because no one knew who was doing what for which patient. Mm, that's amazing. It's so good to have you on the program to be talking about this. So in terms of let's uh, put the hat on of actually being a person who's suffering from pain mm -hmm. and they go and see their doctor, I guess there's all different types of pain, isn't there? So what could they uh, expect? Because, I mean, the, the, the other question that I've got further down uh, to ask you today is also the questions that people should be thinking about what they should ask their doctor if they have got pain once they're having that talk. I mean, it's a big area, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and I think chronic pain has become a huge area in medicine. But it's interesting, you made a very good comment about how there's different types of pain. Mm. And if you actually review the original intent behind opioids, generally speaking, the real intent behind them was for cancer pain. It was for the most excruciating type of pain that wasn't responding to anything else. And opioids were, generally speaking, should have been reserved for cancer pain. But over the years, it's been used for all sorts of different pains. Um, and, and you're absolutely right, because different types of pain can respond differently. To, so sometimes, even opioids, even though opioids are one of the strongest painkillers, the pain you're experiencing may be better served by different type of medication. For example, um, inflammatory type pain, like arthritis, or um, you know, musculoskeletal injuries that athletes might have respond generally better to non-steroidal sort of anti-inflammatories because that's the cause behind it. But mm. unfortunately, because opioids are so strong, sometimes they can be almost used as a, a blanket sort of medication to treat you know, all types of pain. Mm. Um, mm. And so are they finding out more about different types of pain as we're sort of going along as well? Yeah, they're trying to investigate because when you talk about pain, we're actually talking about receptors. So you, mm. obviously your body and brain's full of different receptors and the opioid receptor, and, and there's many different types as well, by the way, there's thousands of different types of opioid receptors. On a certain type of receptor, when the medication acts on that, it blocks the signal uh, that transmits pain from your nerve to your brain. That's why it can be sometimes seen as a one-stop shop to treat all types of pain because it's blocking all the nerve signals. Mm. But I think in order to manage the risks of over-prescribing opioids, more research does need to be mm. uh, performed in terms of the different types of pain and looking at sort of non-medication options. Clearly today we're focusing on opioids, but I really want the listeners to remember that when we manage any particular health problem, it's not just medications. It can't be. We can't look mm. at medications as a magic pill. We need to look at lifestyle factors and exercise and physio and psychology, all those sorts of variables. Mm. Before we go off the different types of pain there's also nerve pain you did mention that as well like I sort of see that as you like muscular skeletal and then you've got nerve pain so would that be a different type of prescription yeah generally it would be there are medications um, known as like pregabalin or gabapentin that tend to show better evidence for nerve pain and in fact um, 
some older style antidepressants can be used at low doses to help with nerve pain as well. So that goes back to, um, for in terms of management, to really trying to understand the person's pain, where it's coming from, so that you have the best mm. plan for that. Yeah. Um, but in this day and age, and, and I'm not trying to get on my high horse, in this day and age where consultations are much briefer, and mm. as a doctor, you generally want to help someone. So when someone comes into in a short review, they're full of pain, it's sort of sometimes going to be tempting to go, well, I'll just write you an opioid because I know this will treat you know your pain and then there's no conversation about the risks and the risk of addictions and that sort of stuff and that's where people can run into trouble yeah well i'm glad you've come, you've gone to that because that was my next question is okay let's really talk about what those risks are what uh, i think when we were talking uh, earlier on the phone uh, you mentioned that you can actually get addicted to some of these opioids within about two or three weeks of taking them which is so scary yeah, so I think when you look at the process of addiction, so often addiction is broken down into several components. Uh, there's the con concepts like tolerance, dependence, and then full-blown addiction. So tolerance is this idea that whenever you take a medication, your brain and your body genuinely likes to be in balance. So it tries to adapt to the medications, which means over time, uh, certain substances, if you take them over and over again, your body gets so used to it that you need higher doses for the same effect. And we know that with opioids, that can happen really rapidly, where I might be taking a certain dosage for my pain. If I take it daily for a brief period, like we said, two or three weeks, over time, I might need more and more for that. And that's called tolerance. And then dependence can kick in, which is when you actually remove the substance and you have withdrawal symptoms. So what happens is I might be taking medication for pain. I'm using it daily. I'm not aware of the risks. Over time, like, oh, actually, my pain's getting worse. It's not, it's not helping as much anymore. I'll take a bit more and I'll take a bit more. And what happens is you take a bit more, a bit more. Eventually, when you have a day off your medications, you may be in withdrawals, which can include rebound pain, which then tricks your brain into thinking, oh, when I don't have this, my pain's really bad. Therefore, I really need this. And that vicious cycle happens. And then addiction comes along where I'm so preoccupied from the using the medications, from the effects of the medications that then it impacts on my sort of emotional well-being, my physical well-being, my social well-being. Um, and this goes back to what I said before, that if it just treated pain, we wouldn't have any issues. But we know that medications have more than one impact because over time you can get constipation. It can reduce your breathing rate. So when you look at the actual data on substance use, the majority of overdoses these days is due to prescribed medications, not due to um, illegal drugs. It's just astounding. So good to have you on the program, as I said again. So I want to actually now go a bit over to your work at the Melbourne Clinic uh, yes. in Victoria and Australia because uh, you're dealing with uh, people who um, are obviously addicts of, of all different sorts. So can you talk about the type of people that you see? Because the elephant in the room, in a way, is that you're not actually seeing people who are addicted to opioids. They're not the people that are going to come to an addiction clinic, are they? Yeah, and it depends on, again, in terms of the opioids so far, we're talking about painkillers. If we include heroin, we see some patients with that, but again, overall, it's much lower. Um, by far, the overwhelming majority of people coming to our service for addiction issues is alcohol. And I guess it makes sense because alcohol is socially acceptable, it's legal, and a lot more people use it. Therefore, by sheer numbers of people consuming alcohol, there's going to be more people with addiction terms. Uh, but it's interesting when you look at data of people help seeking versus risks, far more overdoses occur with things like opioids than you would with things like say cannabis, even though we see much more people coming um, here for cannabis. And it goes to also to, to highlight how 
difficulty it is to manage chronic pain in people using opioids. That many there will be many listeners out there who don't know they've got tolerance independence. They may have chronic pain. They may have been these opioids for um, many years and not realise they've actually got an issue at this point in time until they try to get off it. Um, if I use a personal example, a family member of mine who lived regionally was being prescribed a pain patch, a very strong one called Norspan. And she was on it for many years, not thinking, oh, okay, this helped with my arthritis, not realizing the effects it had and actually made her sluggish, affected her concentration, her focus. And she had to go through a bit of a process to get off that. And it was quite terrible. But on the other side of that, she actually feels much better from being off the medications. Part of this interview today is about raising awareness around this topic and also perhaps educating people on uh, what they what they should do. So, and you you sort of said quite strongly that we need to be starting to ask our doctors questions when they uh, prescribe things. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think um, both sides need to be uh, educated. In the sense, I don't think it's fully uh, fair to have the burden on the patient because the patient is seeking help from the doctor. But as a patient, I, I encourage all my patients to be healthily skeptical. Uh, when a doctor proposes any type of treatment, ask them, why are you proposing this? What are the risks? What are the side effects? How long should I be on it for? What signs should I look out for if things aren't going so well? So those questions are really, really uh, important to ask. On the doctor's side, it's really important for doctors to be educated about these risks, uh, to be educated about the laws. As I was commenting before, there's that eight-week rule, but a lot of doctors may not realise that that eight-week rule does not apply to the individual doctor. What I mean by that is if I'm a patient and I've seen Dr. A and I've been on four weeks of opioids and then I see Dr. B and they prescribe me opioids, if that if the Dr. B prescribes me another four weeks of medication, that's eight weeks. But a lot of doctors think it's only if they prescribe for eight weeks. If the patient's already been on the opioids for eight weeks, that doctor needs a powerful permit. So a lot more education needs to happen from the doctor's side. But from a patient's side, I, I encourage all my patients to be empowered to challenge a doctor's thinking in a respectful way, but to have that conversation and dialogue so you know what you're getting yourself into. So in terms of the the person, how do you know when you're addicted? I mean, you're just yeah. follow, you're following the prescription, aren't you? You're being you're doing what you're being told to do by your doctor. So absolutely, yeah. So some of the hints would be if over time you're finding your medication being less effective, that would be a hint that you're getting tolerant to it. Therefore, you may be in the early stages of actually becoming addicted if the same dose is no longer working as well. Yes, okay. Getting higher and higher doses. Mm. If you're having trouble um, stopping taking your medication, as our previous conversation, I'm not actually in chronic pain management, but I see the prescribing of painkillers like the same as prescribing sleeping tablets. So say a patient comes to me and says they've got a chronic sleep issue and we've investigated all the causes and we can't find anything to treat the cause and we do need sleeping tablets. I have this very frank conversation with my patients being, okay, if we're going to go down the sleeping tablet route, we need to understand that these can be addictive, these can be risky, and over time, they won't work for you. So if we accept that your chronic sleep issue, just like your chronic pain issue, won't go away, we then should only use the medication three, four, five days a week, have a couple of days off. And those couple of days off, yes, we might have been uh, pain, but that's the price we pay so that we can continue using these medications. Often people want treatment 24 hours, seven days a week. And what happens if you use it every single day without a break? That's when you run into trouble. So I tell people, play the long game. Have a few days off your medications. But if you're noticing that when you have a few days off your medication, your pain is actually much more severe, 
that is a sign you are becoming addicted and you should definitely go back and see a doctor to talk about managing that more properly. Mm, okay, and that's when uh, you can re- you should really start looking at non-medication solutions at that point. Oh, absolutely. We know the mind and body is completely linked. There, there are big, um, well-validated studies to say that if I'm depressed, my experience of pain is much stronger. And if I have chronic pain, I'm much more likely to get depressed. So we can't see chronic pain as a pure medication issue. And in fact, these days there are pain clinics that try to take a holistic approach um, that looks at, okay, besides medications, what else are we doing? Are we looking at psychology, looking at physio, uh, looking at other um, investigations for the causes of that? So uh, it's really important that people take a holistic approach and not just pop a pill and think it'll fix everything. Mm. So what, what have I not asked you today, uh, Dr. Seven Chow, uh, that, we, that you think might be beneficial for people? Yeah, I think it's just important for people to understand, to take a, what I call a practical approach to uh, managing the issue. Like I said before, one of the um, important safeguards is make sure that you have those proper conversations with the doctor that you trust, you have a very open dialogue, um, and that you make sure you feel heard by the doctor. If you present a problem with the doctor and you feel like they just all they've done is written your script, I would seek a second opinion, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, mm. For those people who are concerned that they may be on that train towards addiction already, um, if you already have a good relationship with your prescribing doctor, go back and speak with them. If you're further down the line of addiction, there are services available statewide in Victoria. So there's direct line and there's also turning points. So if people Google that, um, there's counselling services. There's also referral services where you can literally call direct line and go, hey, I live in this particular suburb. I'm struggling with this addiction issue. Where can I get help? And they'll point you in the right uh, direction. Well, that's fabulous to know. And I'll actually put those out on the Go Well uh, Facebook page right. as well, those direct line and turning points. Thank you very much for joining us on the program today. It's been really good having you on the program. No worries. Thanks for having me. Take care, Kate.